following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth and now exist are stored up for fire, being captains of the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Father, we thank you so much for the preciousness of your holy word. Uh, what a gift it is to us that we have to this great privilege to study your word. Uh, Lord, we know that many of us are tired. Uh, we've had an emotional day. Uh, Lord, I am personally um, emotionally spent. Uh, so, God, I pray that you would just take uh, your word and you would implant it deep into our hearts. That for the next 30 to 40 minutes, God, that you would strengthen our minds, strengthen our bodies, God, that we would hear and hear with um, clarity. God, we pray that you would remove distractions from our minds. And God, and the word that is spoken is spoken in such a way that it would resonate in power, uh, that we would be changed from one degree of glory to the next as we await the coming of the day of the Lord. So, Father, I pray that you would strengthen the faith of your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a few years ago, one of my uh, mentors was preaching at a conference, and um, he, he made the point that many people will say that today it's the age of uh, the eye. You know, everything is visual. So everything that you, you see, it's, it's a visual um, attack on us. You know, we're, we're saying if you're not using visual arts uh, in your sermons or not using visual arts in how you're trying to communicate with things, well, you're, you're, you're being dishonest to the age in, in which we're in. Um, and he said, we are not in the age of the eye. Right now, we are still in the age of the ear. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So what we're doing right now, the hearing of the word of God, that's where faith comes. It's not through the eye, but it's through, through the faith of believing in the word of God. Uh, one of my favorite hymns is It Is Well. We sing it often. And that last line, when it says, Lord, haste the day, when our faith shall be sight, and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. So the trumpets out, the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. See, the thing is, is one day when the Lord descends, our faith will no longer be to the ear, but it will be sight. We will see God. We will be his people, and he will be our God. And really, what, what Peter is doing here in this last uh, section of his letter is he's, he's reminding us of that day. 
the day when our faith shall be sight, when we will see God. It's the coming of faith. It's the coming of faith in sight. So we're going to look at this under three headings, looking at these three paragraphs. One, the coming of faith in the midst of scoffers. So we're waiting for that coming faith. We're waiting to see Jesus Christ um, in glory. And we have to do it in the midst of scoffers. Look at what God's Word says in verse 1 of chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. The idea of beloved there is kind of the change in transition. Remember last week we looked at all the, the false prophets, the, the destroyers of the faith, living uh, and speaking things that are ungodly. Well, here he says this is the second letter that I'm writing to you. Now, some scholars would question whether First Peter was the letter. Some people even break up this letter and saying chapter 1 is one letter and chapter 2 is a different letter. And this would be the, the third letter, which I don't agree with. I do think that First Peter was his first letter, uh, specifically in First Peter uh, chapter 1. So if you just want to turn back a few pages in your Bible and look at First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13. It says, therefore... Prepare, sorry, chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So even in 1 Peter, what Peter is doing, he wants to prepare your minds. How you think about faith. Preparing your minds for action. Being sober-minded to, to set your hope fully on when Jesus Christ will come back. So I think 2 Peter is, is referring to 1 Peter. The same thing is that the day of the Lord is coming. Jesus Christ will, will one day uh, dawn. And when he does, we want to be ready. So you see back in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In both of them, in both of these letters, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. If you are going to be a faithful Christian, you must think. You have to use your mind. What I see happening across evangelicalism, across the American church, is that we don't train people to think anymore. We want to, we want to bring it down to the lowest common denominator. Well, back in the day, people took faith seriously. They took doctrine seriously. And I'm not even talking in, in, in the last 100 years, 150 years. Maybe, maybe we've seen it then. But historically, the church has always been full of the greatest minds in the world. Theologians who studied the deep things of this world were gifted in mind. Peter is saying, I'm stirring you up to a sincere mind by way of reminder. We looked at that several times. Peter's goal, the ministry of pastors, is to remind you. Uh, many of you have been in church uh, for, for years, and you're coming, you've already been in church once this morning, and you're coming back again on Sunday night, you, I'm probably not going to say something new. You probably have, have heard what I've said before, and that's okay. It's, it's good for you to hear things again. Repetition is the mother of learning. And as we, as we age, sometimes we, we forget things. Uh, we were at Bible study this past Tuesday, and um, you know, John Whitaker... Uh, is training to, to be a pastor, and he's in seminary. He's just devouring the scriptures. He's reading the Bible as much as you possibly can. And he asked me a question, and I, I gave him my answer. And I said, I'm not really sure if, if he said something about Jesus. I said, I'm pretty sure Paul said that, but I'm not sure if Jesus did. And he, he kind of stopped for a second. He goes, but 
John 16:42 says, Okay, John, you're right. Jesus said it as well, right? But it just completely it just slipped my mind. I, I couldn't remember. Uh, so that was a good reminder for me. Listen, hearing things again and again is helpful to us. Um, and this is why Peter wrote this letter. Now remember, the whole aim of this letter is that they would be ready on that day when Jesus Christ returns. They would not be carried away by false teachers into uh, licentiousness, living in, in a way and believing things that were contrary to the doctrine of the gospel. Look at verse 2. It says that you, the reason, that, the, the purpose, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Uh, one of the things that people tend not to read are the prophets. So Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and the book of 12, Daniel, and, and all the minor prophets. They are really, really good to help you understand what God took seriously in the Old Testament. And if you read all of those books, uh, there's a great book written by a guy named Pastor Dave Keene called Questioning the Minor Prophets. You can get it. Uh, sermons that I preached on Wednesday night. This idea of, of why these books are important. And the, the key theme on all these ideas is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. So in, in that time, that's before the first advent of Christ. And they're, they're kind of looking towards kind of that, those, those mountain peaks. The, the first coming and the second coming. Well, they don't always know the, 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 the gap in between. But we, we know that um, the day of the Lord when God's going to come in, in power. And that's what he's, he's, he's saying here, that when you talk about Jesus Christ and through the apostles, knowing that, first of all, he says, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. So there's going to be people, and I, I think here uh, it, it's, go, it's both those people who are going to be within the church and outside the church. I really think that Peter's probably referring to those who are in the church here, not even those who are outside. Because remember, the, the, the false teachers that he's mentioning in chapter 2 are those who are within the church. Uh, we know from uh, Paul's writings that uh, there were false teachers who said the day of the Lord had already happened. They were leading people astray. So listen, false teachers are going to arise. Paul writes in the book of Acts, chapter 20, 19 and 20, there's going to be false teachers who are going to be wolves who are going to grow up within the church and teach things that are false. You see that happening all the time. If you watched uh, even this past, this past week, megachurch pastors saying things that are absolutely ridiculous uh, about the, the local church. Um, one pastor said that you shouldn't go to a small church and if you go to a small church, you're selfish because you should go to a big church with lots of programs so that your kids can be happy. So don't take your kids to a church where your kids are going to hate. So um, me and my wife were talking about that in the kitchen, and Elizabeth came in. And she goes, what are you guys talking about? I said, well, we're talking about we shouldn't take um, – I was, I, was I was trying to be funny. I said, you know, I, we should just close down Park Baptist Church because our kids are going to hate it. And my kids started saying, what are you talking about? You can't close down the church. We love our church. We love, we, we love part. Um, well, that's the, the, the scoffing of God's word, right? That we need to, to, to fit the, the needs of people rather than the glory of God. Uh, there are scoffers going on in the church. 
Well, the scoffers in the New Testament were scoffers specifically related to the day of the Lord. So look at what these scoffers were saying. Peter is is following. He says, they will say, these scoffers, where is the promise of his coming? Now remember, the promise of his coming all the way back through the prophets that the day of the Lord is coming. Now even today, there are people who think that the day of the Lord is, 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 is not coming and that they have all the time in the world to live any which way they want. And yet one day they're going to have to answer to the Lord. It says, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Now the fathers here could mean early church fathers, but it could mean also the patriarchs uh, in the Old Testament. So he's saying, listen, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed since the creation of the world, and you're saying the Lord is going to come and end this world. Where is the promise of his coming? We don't see him happening. It's almost as if the reverse of Elijah on, the, on, the, on, the, uh, on Mount Carmel, uh, when they, he, he, he talked to the prophets of Baal and said, where is, where is Baal? Is he on vacation? Why don't you tell, tell him to take care of this, um, send fire down from heaven to burn up this offering? And, of course, nothing could happen. Well, that's the, what people are saying. People are saying, God's not coming. The day of the Lord is not happening. Now, this was written 2,000 years ago. Can you imagine if these same scoffers were around today? They think the day of the Lord is not happening. And then what does he say? It says, verse 5, For they deliberately overlook this fact. I love that word, deliberately. Sometimes the Bible's very clear. Um, great theological term is the perspicuity of Scripture, meaning the clarity of Scripture. We believe that when you read the Bible, you can understand it. That means that if I read the Bible with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and someone who's a non-believer reads the Bible right there next to me, we should both be able to understand the general meaning of the text. Now, I, I may believe it, I may have greater insight because I am understanding it as, as a Christian with the power of the Holy Spirit. But even a non-Christian should be able to read the Bible and understand its meaning. They may not believe it, but they should be able to understand its meaning. So here, this is these false teachers, these scoffers that deliberately overlook. That means they intentionally do not see the truth. And what does it say? That the heavenlies, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of Water through water by the word of God. That means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Speaking of the flood. Now, I didn't get into a lot of details when I taught on the flood. Really, the challenge when you teach on a Sunday morning is that time is really short. You know, uh, the last three Sundays, I've, been, I've gone over 12 o'clock. Okay, And there's so much information in the Bible. There's so much things you want to say. And sometimes you can't get it all in. And one of the things that with the flood, the flood is one of the things that we look at as historical proof of the Bible. Now, there are many people that would use scientific data to say that the flood didn't happen, that the flood wasn't worldwide. The flood was only in a, in a very specific spirit, period of space. But when you read the, the biblical account, the biblical account says that the flood was worldwide. And even here, it says that the flood was worldwide. The whole earth was uh, deluged with water. It was covered with water for 150 days after the 40 days uh, of rain, day and night. And everything in it perished. 
That's the biblical account. That everything outside of Noah and his wives, Noah, his wife, and his son's wives perished on that day. And they overlook that fact. But verse 7 says, But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Now, we looked at this just a couple weeks ago, but this is the same idea. That the, the, um, everyone in Noah's day, Jesus says, they were, they, were, they were eating and they were drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage. They were living as if nothing was going to happen, everything was fine, and then the rain started and they were done. Well, that's what's saying here. There, there's coming a day that this earth is being stored up for the fire. The coming of faith in the midst of scoffers. So what we have to do, we have to believe that. We have to believe that the day of the Lord is coming. So when people scoff at us, and they will scoff, they will scoff at your faith. They will look at you and call you uh, ridiculous, believing in myths. And when they scoff, both outside and within the church, there are people, just, I've shared the story before, but at Winter's Campus, at, um, at Convocation, I was sitting there passing out, um, I was passing out cookies and talking to people about Jesus, and a man from a Baptist church came up to me. Now, we're talking about a man from a Baptist church. And he says, you know I don't believe the Bible. What do you mean you don't believe the Bible? And he was proud that him and his church do not take the Bible literally. And I tried to engage him in conversation, and he just walked off. He wanted nothing to do with it. A Baptist church. Last time I checked, we're in a Baptist church. Baptists should believe the Bible. So it's going to happen. And when it does, we have to continue to hold fast to the sacred text. Because scoffers are going to happen. And if you listen to scoffers, what's going to happen? You give them your ear and you listen and you're not grounded in the word. You are going to be drifting away from it. And now it's going to happen more and more. You're going to see churches dropping in the next 15 years. And I'm not saying dropping as in closing their doors. I'm saying dropping as in believing in the Bible. They're going to stop believing in the Scriptures. And if you stop believing in the, the sacredness of the text, the, the perfection, the inerrancy of the Bible, you lose your salvation. I mean, because you, the Bible says that you can only be saved through Jesus Christ. So if you don't believe the Bible, then how do you know that Jesus Christ is the only way? This is some serious things that we're talking about. So we have to have the coming faith in the midst of scoffers. We have to believe, secondly, in the coming faith in the midst of slowness. In the midst of slowness. So as the, the prophets or the, the, the scoffers deliberately overlook, deliberately overlook the truth of the flood, look at what it says in verse 8. Do not, but do not overlook this one fact. Okay, so he's about, to give you, he's about to drop some knowledge on the church and saying, listen, church, you need to not overlook this, but you need to hold fast to it. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord does not view time like you and I. The Lord views time very differently. 
This is the, the picture, even when I, I was speaking this morning, about, uh, about Babel being like Babylon. When you read Revelation 18, it says that this great mighty Babylon will come to nothing in an hour. This great mighty city will be taken out in an hour. It takes forever for these earthly kingdoms to be built, and yet they're gone in a moment. We think about the USSR in our time. We think about the Roman Empire and the Greeks and the Persians. Everyone thought those empires would last forever, and they are no longer around. Do not think that America will last forever. You know, one thing I didn't say this morning that you know, may, may sound controversial to some of you, but America is not Israel. America is Babylon. America has set itself against God. Now, I love being American. I love being an American citizen. We have more freedoms in this country than anything else. But if you look at our, at our culture, it is set against God. It is the city, not the New Jerusalem. It is Babylon. It is set against God. But look at how Peter continues. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. It was interesting. In our Sunday school class this morning, we talked about um, Moses. And Moses um, was uh, trying to do what was right by the Lord. The Lord said, go to uh, Egypt and go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. So what does Moses do? Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, the God of our fathers has spoken to me. Let my people go. And Moses hardened his heart and made the work of the Hebrews harder. He said, you still have to give me the same amount of bricks as you did before, but now you have to go get your own straw. The, the weight came harder and harder upon uh, the, the Israelites. And you could think that Moses is saying, Lord, this is not the way it's supposed to be. You promised that you were going to deliver your people. You, you did say Pharaoh was going to harden his heart, but that the people of God are going to look at me and say, Moses, what did you do? And yet the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. How many times have you asked God for something? Maybe ask God to save someone in your life. Ask God to turn around a relationship. Uh, ask God to, to even care for our church, to grow our congregation. Ask, ask God to, to help you out financially. And it just seems that you're just scraping by for years. And you're just waiting for God. You know, I, I mean, I, I think about uh, Miss Helen. I think about you and how often you prayed for your husband to be saved, right? You prayed for years for her, your husband to be saved. And then one day, one day he heard the message of the gospel, repented of his sins, and believed. And now he's in glory. You know? Now think about those days when you were waiting and waiting and waiting for him to come to faith. And yet, it happened. So I think sometimes we are, are tempted to believe that God does not care because God does not move in our time. And I think, if I would just say to, to, your, to, to people here, this is going to be even a greater problem to the generation that's coming up. Uh, because many of us have kind of, maybe even not even my generation, but uh, the generation above me knows patience. You didn't grow up with all the technology that were immediate. Okay? You, you, you may remember the days when you actually had to get up 
walk across the living room rug and change the channel, you know? And you've probably had those moments. You were sitting on the couch and you said, I'll just watch it. It's just too far away, right? You understand a degree of, of, of patience. But this generation has no idea, okay? So we don't have cable, um, but I can run my television from my iPhone. So I could be on a phone call, end it, and then start a, a program for my children because I have a phone. And then at that same phone, I can text someone who, who lives in another country. And I can get a response within five seconds. That's crazy. It's crazy what's happening in our world. So people don't understand patience anymore. We don't understand patience. We want everything right now. So think about the generation that's coming up that we need to almost train them in patience. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's patient towards you. So when, when someone is struggling with things in their life, you and I need to look at them and say, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. The Lord is faithful. The Lord will always be faithful to his people. But it's his time. And it's his will. He knows best. He will work all things for your good, according to those who love God, according to his purpose. And I love how he goes on. He says, God is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. One of the reasons why the end hasn't happened, remember, that's the main context here. You know, I'm making an application on, on our own lives, but the main context here is the day of the Lord coming, right? The promise is that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise in his return, right? We want Jesus Christ to return. He's not slow in keeping his promise there, but he wants all to come to repentance. Every day that the Lord tarries, every day that the Lord waits to come is another day where people can hear and believe the message of the gospel. Every day, God gives us the opportunity to go out in this world with the sweet message of the gospel to pass it on to those who are lost. That was where I was trying to get at this morning. Listen, I want our sanctuary to be full. I want our church to grow. I want us to have a, a vibrant, healthy congregation. But the goal of our, of, of our gathering is not to fill the seats in this place. The goal is that we would be equipped to, to understand and believe the gospel, to understand the glory of God, and to let that glory be filled in, a, in, in the earth. So we shouldn't be primarily concerned if someone comes to our congregation. But do they come to Christ? Do they know Jesus? Do they experience the glory of God in, in salvation, the knowledge of Him? And if they do that and they go to a church down the street, praise God. Literally, praise God if that happens. But I think too often we're, 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 we're not impacting the lostness of our city. And I'm talking to other pastors and we're praying, how can we impact the lostness of our city? Well, I'm a firm believer the number one way we impact lostness is having healthy churches. God's plan to reach the world is the local congregation. And as we are united in Christ around the gospel, having a healthy biblical congregation, we will impact this community, um, the lostness of this community with the gospel. And we have some work to do. If we are going to be a healthy biblical congregation, we have some work to do. And the challenge that, that I'm going to face, that we're going to face, is will you follow? As a pastor, I've been here for three and a half years. 
And I think that the Bible is very clear in some areas and we are not being obedient. I've showed it to you numerous times in the text. And I will continue to show it to you. But there comes a time where we need to be biblical. And we need to be faithful to the New Testament. And the question is, when that happens, will I be scoffed at? Or will you follow? The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, but He wants all to come to repentance. We want the Lord to tarry. Give us more days so that we can take the gospel to the lost. And then he ends with verse 10. He says, he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will pass away and the, and the roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The Bible says that one day that when the Lord comes, that the secrets of man, Romans 2.16, the secrets of man will be exposed by Jesus Christ. Everything will be laid bare in front of him. That is going to happen. And how will it happen? It will happen like a, a thief in the night. You won't see it coming. It will just come. That's the picture of the day of the Lord. It's almost like this, we think we have all the time in the world, and then one day life is over. I mean, how many people do you know who died suddenly? They didn't, you didn't expect them to die. Some of you experienced that in your own life. Well, that's the way the day of the Lord is going to happen. Well, we close with this coming, the coming faith, believing in the coming faith in the midst of sin. So we have scoffers, we have the slowness of God fulfilling His promises, and then we just have sin. Sin in our own lives, sin in the community of faith, sin in our families. Look at verse 11. Since all these things, the things that we see, are thus to be dissolved, meaning that one day all the things that we see are going to experience the, the, the cleansing fire of God. When that happens, the question is, what sort of people ought you to be? So when that happens, when the Lord returns, how, what kind of people do you want to be? Lives of holiness and godliness. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. I can't remember which uh, preacher who said it. It may have been D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, he says, I never, I, I always want to do something that if it was my last moment on earth, I wouldn't be ashamed. I always want to live my life that if this was the last moment on earth, I wouldn't be ashamed. Just think about what that means. So how we treat our, our spouses, how we treat our kids, how we treat each other in the local church, you know, how, how I, what I look at with my eyes, what I think about in my head. I don't want any moment... If that was my last, I would, I would go to the Father with shame. Now, we know that we're not saved by how we live. We're saved by the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't keep the law. We can't do things perfectly. We are not holy, and we are not godly, right, outside of the cross. Jesus Christ, uh, when we put our faith in him, we are united with him. So God looks at us through the lens of the cross. And because we are declared holy, now we need to actually live up and actually be holy and godly, knowing that one day our lives are going to be tested by the fire. In the midst of sin that we're surrounded by, we want to live in such a way to hasten the coming of the day of God. Because, look at verse 12, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. You just see the language here? This is, this is some powerful language that we see about the coming day of the Lord. 
Now, if you are a non-believer, that's a scary day. Uh, so when I preached on the flood, uh, a couple comments uh, of the people said, man, you were really hellfire and brimstone today, preacher. Um, and, you know, what, we had a visitor come, not non-Christian visitor, and said, yeah, he's kind of preachy. <laughs> and I was kind of preachy. Why? Because the seriousness of the text forced the seriousness of my tone. Most of the people here, right, most, all you are believers in Christ. Uh, so it's a, it's a different ball game here. Um, but look at this last verse, and we'll close here. And I think this is really important. If you want to increase the level of your own godliness, increase your thinking about heaven. Look at verse 13. But according to his promise, the promises of God, we are waiting. What are we waiting for? New heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Just think about that. Think about how glorious heaven is going to be. When we see Jesus face to face, when all our relationships are perfect, uh, when all our, our, our thoughts are full of, of joy, that we get to sing, holy, holy, holy is the, is the Lamb who was slain. We, we, get, to, we get to live in a, in a perfect world where righteousness dwells. And I think for me, what I have found in my own life, the more I meditate, the more I slow down and I think about what God has promised, the imperishable inheritance, unfading, undefiled, where righteousness dwells, where we will be the people of God and God will, will live amongst us. When I think about that, what it does, it gives me a little bit more oomph to, to live the life of the Lord, you know? It gives me the, the, the ability to, to labor, to labor in the church, uh, to labor for, for marriages that are falling apart, to, to labor for the, the, the well-being of, of my children, to, to care and love those who, who may be set against me. Listen, I know that I'm going to be in a place where righteousness dwells. Therefore, I can continue to live my life whatever the way the Lord gives me here on earth. If the Lord gives me blessings, amen. If the Lord gives me trials, amen. Because one day I will be in the place where righteousness dwells. Beloved, I pray that you will um, sing with me as we always do, right? Lord, haste the day when our faith shall be sight. Where we will see and live where righteousness dwells. And if you think about that, oh, beloved, it will spur us on to live lives of holiness and godliness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for today. We pray, God, as we go home to our beds tonight, we pray that you would help us think about the place where righteousness dwells, the new heavens and the new earth. God, you are not slow in keeping your promise as some understand slowness, but God, you are faithful to keep your word. God, we pray that you would help us believe. Help us not overlook that you are a God who is faithful to his people. God, we pray that you would help us live lives of godliness and holiness as we await that day. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.